Well, if you have your Bibles, please open up with me to Luke chapter 23. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some sign done by him. And so he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him, neither did Herod. For he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! The third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. And he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Let's pray. Father, you are sovereign and in control over all things. It grieves us to read 
about this unjust trial of Your Son. It grieves us to see that He was completely innocent and yet condemned. It grieves us to see the hard hearts of the crowd desiring His blood, wanting Him crucified. Lord, we are so thankful that Your Son submitted Himself to this and went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to save us, to rescue us. We pray now that You would help us to study this to worship You, to grow in thanks and appreciation and awe and reverence at all that You have planned from eternity to past and all that You have accomplished through Your Son and all that You have applied to us in the power of Your Spirit. We ask for Your blessing now as we study Your Word. May You be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. When... uh, Libby and I were first uh, engaged uh, in planning our wedding. Uh, it was a very sanctifying process because uh, Libby didn't know what exactly she wanted, but she knew what she didn't want. When she, once she saw it, it was like, hey, what do you think of this? No, not that. Okay, so it was like a process of elimination, kind of getting to uh, what she liked and what she didn't like, which is good. And uh, if you really think about it, we are... We are constantly learning things about ourselves as we live life, aren't we? Uh, Kind of uh, slowly realizing, going through this process of what do I like, what do I don't like, kind of putting thoughts to words and uh, experiences to uh, uh, understanding, uh, all of those things. And it's a a gradual process, and and we learn uh, in a myriad of ways. But I have said, and I will continue to say, that the greatest way to learn about yourself is to look to God's Word. Because in God's Word, we will see ourselves most clearly. uh, And we will see what God has to say about us. Because the Word of God is like a mirror. That's what it says in James, right? Uh, And we approach this mirror and we see ourselves. But the Word of God isn't just a mirror that shows us our outward appearance. Uh, It's a mirror that shows us uh, our innermost thoughts uh, and the inner workings of our hearts, of our soul. So if we really want to learn about ourselves, we must come to God's Word, the teachable heart. And and God's Word will continue to work upon our lives. And what we're going to see here in this passage that I just read to us, uh, we are going to learn about ourselves. It's the account of Jesus' trial before Pontius Pilate. Uh, And in that trial, God is at work to accomplish something that he has planned from eternity past. But but in this passage as well, we are going to have insight into humanity, uh, into what we are all like. Uh, And what we're going to see in this passage, there are three characters in this trial. Every human uh, being can identify with these three characters. Uh, Each of these characters is going to reveal something about us. Uh, And the first thing that's going to be revealed is going to be revealed by the crowd. You could say that the crowd reveals our hatred of God. Pontius Pilate 
uh, is declaring Jesus innocent. He says, I find no guilt in this man. But, but the crowd, really a mob, keeps shouting and drowning out Pontius Pilate's protestations of innocence. He's innocent. We can just let him go. No, crucify him. That's the cry of the crowd over and over again persistently. But why do they, why do they shout this? And why do they feel this way? What, what has led them to want to see Jesus die? Well, some of it might be that they were disappointed in Jesus. The Jewish people had been waiting for a Messiah to come and deliver them uh, from uh, Roman rule. Uh, the, the Jews wanted a Messiah who would come and uh, kick out Pontius Pilate and then maybe march on Rome. All right, let, let's be done with this Roman oversight uh, and let's be an independent nation. That's really what the Jews wanted. Uh, and five days prior to what we just read, the people welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem, proclaiming and announcing him uh, as the Davidic king that they have long awaited for. They're saying, Hosanna, which means save now. They're welcoming him in, and then just a few days later, they're wanting him murdered. It's also a mob mentality. Right? As, as we've seen even just this past year, there's a boldness that grows in crowds that's not present in individuals. Right? So when, when one person wants something and they're in a crowd and they can encourage others to, to desire the same, there's this mob mentality that grows. So there's a disappointment with Jesus, there's a mob mentality, but, but most importantly, they are crying for Jesus to be crucified because as human beings, we are not neutral. Right? We aren't uh, in between uh, good and bad. Uh, we are, in our natural state, sinners, hostile towards God. And some of you might be doubting that. You're like, well, well Thomas, where are you getting that? How do you see this crowd chanting for, for Jesus to be crucified, how does that somehow point to a hostility towards God? Well, as we've been studying through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings, what is it that Jesus had made, has made clear over and over again uh, in his teaching, in his miracles? What has been his proclamation throughout his entire ministry? Who is he? He's the Son of God. Uh, and his miracles have demonstrated that. His teaching has demonstrated that. I would venture to say that everyone in Jerusalem knew exactly who Jesus claimed to be. That he claimed to be the Son of God and the Messiah. In Luke chapter 24, when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus and he hasn't revealed himself to those two disciples, and he's kind of asking them questions, testing them, what's going on? And they're like, are you the only one who, has, who doesn't know what has been taking, taking place in the city the last couple of days? That Jesus, this prophet, was killed and we are grieving and trying to make sense of all of this. We thought he was the Messiah, but then he died and everybody knew who Jesus claimed to be. Uh, and yet this man who has verified his deity in so many miracles, in his teaching, they are crying out for him to be crucified. And this is the default position of humanity. We have been made in His image to live for and glorify Him, but we have all gone our own way. The Jews didn't want Jesus as their king. They wanted to rule themselves. 
what their greatest desire was. And their sinful hearts are revealed in their actions and their words here. And then later on, the Apostle Peter, as he's preaching in Acts chapter 3 in the temple to this maybe very same crowd of people, this is what he says. He says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, and when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And to this we are witnesses. Peter didn't pull any punches there. He made it very clear that the crowd was responsible for the murder of Jesus. Says you killed the author of life. And here's something to to contemplate and realize. If we had been there, we would have been among those chanting, screaming, crying out, crucify him. Crucify him. Because we have that same enmity in our hearts. The well known poem by Horatius Bonar, he says, I see the crowd in Pilate's hall. He writes this, I see the crowd in Pilate's hall. Their furious cries I hear. Their shouts of crucify appall. Their curses fill mine ear. And of that shouting multitude, I feel that I am one. And in that din of voices rude, I recognize my own. I see the scourgers rend the flesh of God's beloved Son, And as they smite, I feel afresh that I of them am one. Around the cross, the throng I see that mock the sufferer's groan. Yet still my voice, it seems to be as if I mocked alone. Was I that shed that sacred blood, I nailed him to the tree. I crucified the Christ of God. I joined the mockery. Pastor Mike McKinley said the tragedy of our race is that every human being has divine blood on our hands. That is true. That's what we see here in the crowd. Our hatred towards God. And we all stand guilty before God because of our rebellion against Him. Because we have sought to overthrow His rule. We don't want to submit to Him. We want to do our own thing in our own way. We want to live for ourselves and seek our glory rather than His. And Jesus came and confronted that over and over again. And the natural response to that, when it really sinks in what Jesus' message is, the natural response is outrage. That's what we see here in this crowd. And this crowd reveals our hatred of God. And then, secondly, Pilate reveals our fear of man. What we saw is is Pilate, on three occasions, make a pronouncement of innocent or guilty. And what did he say all three times? I have found this man to be innocent. So Pilate knew, without a shadow of a doubt, that the Jews were bringing Jesus to him to be killed, not because he was guilty, but because they were jealous. Because they wanted Jesus out of the way. 
And what is amazing is that even though Pilate pronounces Jesus to be innocent three separate occasions, what does he still do? He still says, okay, you can go and kill him. I will give in to your screaming and your demands. He's innocent. I know this, but I will, I'll turn him over to you to do with as you wish. Think about that. What would, what would possess a Roman governor who has the power of the Roman army, who's the most powerful man there in Jerusalem, what would lead him to say, I know this isn't right, but let's do it anyway? Fear of man. Uh, fear of the trouble that the Jewish leaders would cause him. Because the other gospel accounts tell us that Pilate was afraid of this trouble. Uh, and uh, in John chapter 19, verse 12, the Jewish leaders kind of give a veiled threat to Pilate uh, and about what they might stir up against him and the trouble that he could get himself into. Is, uh, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So if Jesus is coming and saying he's the Messiah, that he's the, the king of Israel, you have to do something about this, Pilate, because you can't just let this other king here under Roman rule saying that he's the, the rightful leader. And ultimately, what Pilate wanted was not justice in this situation. He just wanted peace. Right? Don't rock the boat. I don't want to riot right now. I just want a peaceful Passover. And that was at the top of his wish list uh, at this moment. And that's what we see in Mark chapter 15, verse 15. It says, So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, Matthew 27, verse 24, says that there was a, a riot beginning. And the Pilate took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. And in a, a very profound statement, the crowd says, Let his blood be on us and upon our children. But I wish that, that I couldn't identify with Pilate here. I wish that I couldn't identify with giving in to a fear of man. And if we're really probing our own hearts here, there's so many occasions when we know that we ought to speak and we're silent. Uh, we uh, fear what other people may say, what other people might do, how they would respond if we take a stand for truth. We have all kept silent when we should have spoken. We have all gone with the crowd of people around us rather than standing firm or even swimming upstream against the current of people. The whole crowd is saying, crucify him. And, and Pontius Pilate is kind of there standing firm a little bit. Well, he's innocent, guys. Crucify him. Well, okay. Just gives in. We are all guilty of giving in in that same way. Fearing people rather than fearing God. Proverbs 29.25 says that the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. What we fear most is intimately connected with what we worship. So in this moment, if the fear of other people are, is dictating Pilate's decision, what is he worshiping in that moment? 
But if in that moment he had stood firm and his fear of the Lord directed his decisions, he would have been worshiping God. What we see, and there's only one cure for the fear of man, and that's growing in our fear of the Lord. Worshiping and obeying him. Jesus taught this, Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more than they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. I tell you, fear him. And this is what we see revealed to us about humanity. That we have a natural hatred of God, and we have a natural fear of man. Uh, that though, that is uh, the the controlling desires of our heart. But I am so thankful that this is not the only thing that is revealed in this passage. Now, there's a third character who's going to reveal truth to us. That's Barabbas. Barabbas reveals our hope in the gospel. And now let's just put ourselves in his sandals for a moment. Okay? He has been condemned to death for insurrection and murder. He was the leader of a rebellion against Rome, and now he sits in a Roman jail awaiting a gruesome and horrible death on the cross. And he would have known about crucifixion because everybody knew about crucifixion. Crucifixion was the the Roman way of silencing any... uh, rebellion against them because it was intended to be a public spectacle it was intended to be able to point to someone in complete and utter agony on a cross and say this is what happens when you rebel against roman power the cross was intended to intimidate barabbas would have been sitting in a jail cell contemplating that we don't know we don't know how many days he would have been in the jail cell but I'm sure he had some time to think uh, and evaluate his life decisions. Uh, and maybe in an honest moment of assessment, maybe he came to the conclusion that he was deserving of what he was about to experience. This crucifixion. And on this final day of the Jewish Passover, maybe he's being brought over to Pontius Pilate. And on his way over there, may have heard crucify him crucify him and he's thinking oh man i'm in for it heart maybe sank in despair but as he's brought into the courtyard maybe he saw Pilate washing his hands uh, and hearing Pilate say i'm innocent of this man's blood and then imagine how barabbas would have felt when the chains that were on him were taken off of him by the roman soldiers And they say, you can go free. And then he sees that the chains that were on him taken and placed on this other man who had been standing in front of Pilate. And suddenly that man is taken away to be beaten, whipped, crucified. Maybe Barabbas watched from a distance. He went outside the city, a place where he could view Calvary Mountain, where he could see three people being crucified. 
And two of those people were probably his buddies. Two of those people were probably his accomplices in his insurrection and murder. Right? What would he have thought as Jesus of Nazareth took his place? Hard, hard to, to get a grip on how that uh, roller coaster of emotions would have been hitting him at that time. But think about this. From the moment that he was released and Jesus took his place, according to Roman authorities, even though he had led an insurrection and committed murder, before their law, he was an innocent man. That there was nothing that they could bring against him from that point forward. He had been completely pardoned and forgiven for all that he had done. Jesus went to the cross. Barabbas was completely forgiven and set free to live life. And not just set free to to run as a, a guilty fugitive, but to live and go wherever he pleased as a man completely innocent before the law of the land. This is the the picture of the gospel. One of the clearest pictures of the gospel that we have. Christ going to the cross in Barabbas' place and Barabbas going free. Ultimately, Christ went to the cross in our place to bear our sins, to carry our guilt, to experience the wrath of God that we deserve. Isaiah chapter 53 Verses 4 through 6. And this is 700 years before Jesus was crucified. 700 years. Isaiah the prophet says this, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. It's amazing this trade that takes place and now usually in various professional sports leagues when there is a trade between teams uh, the teams want to get a fair value an equal trade so you're not going to have a really great player on one team traded for a really bad player on another team but that's exactly what we see here this is the, the trade that takes place in the life of anybody who trusts in christ for their salvation who understands uh, their rebellion against Christ and looks to Him in faith, understanding my only hope is for Christ to pay my sin and to bring me into relationship with God the Father. And again, in, in going to the cross, this is a demonstration of God's love for us. Again, uh, an unequal trade. But Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the the beauty, the power, and the glory of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. He endured the death that we deserved. He experienced the punishment for our sins. And guess what we get to experience? The peace, blessing, and joy of being free men and women in Christ. But we are no longer condemned by our sins because they have been paid for in full. And just as Barabbas went free, we go free before God. He looks at us as being holy and blameless before him. The first two characters that we looked at tonight, that revealed something about us. But this third character, Barabbas, this reveals something about God. Of how he delights to save sinners. How he delights to save us. Indeed, not just to, to save us in, from wrath, but also to, to bring us into his family. That's why this is called Good Friday. And I pray that, that tonight would be a time of reflection for each of us. That we would take these truths to heart. That our rebellion against God, uh, our fear of man, our worshiping uh, the creation rather than the creator, all of this stands to condemn us. But our hope is found in that if we trust in Christ, He swaps places with us. He went to the cross. He paid for our sins. His righteous life is attributed now to us. He is our hope. He is our only hope. If you're, if you're here with us this evening and you uh, have not trusted in Christ, if you're still walking your own way, going your own path, assuming that uh, when the time comes for you to stand before the Lord, that you'll figure that out at that point in time. I would urge you and plead with you, don't wait until then. Don't count on your own ability. Look to Christ in faith. Trust in who he is and what he has accomplished for you. That is the only way for you to be rescued, reconciled, and redeemed. Look to Jesus in faith. And if you do, there is that very unequal trade that takes place. All of his righteousness is placed upon you, and all of your sin is placed upon him. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Trust in Christ. And don't fear That your sins are too many to be forgiven. Uh, Don't fear or doubt God's love for you. Because what did Romans chapter 5 verse 8 say? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us when we were in complete and utter rebellion against him. Wasn't dependent upon us starting to turn to him. Because you're running wholeheartedly from him and he still sent his son to die for us. That we would trust in Him and be justified. Don't be afraid that your sins are too many or that God would not care to save you. Earlier I read that that poem by Horatius Bonar. And 
I left out a, a final stanza. I had previously read, "'Twas I that shed that sacred blood. I nailed Him to the tree. I crucified the Christ of God. I joined the mockery." But this is how it, that poem ends. "'Yet not the less that blood avails to cleanse me from sin, and not the less that cross prevails to give me peace within.'" It's still the cross that saves us in the middle of our sin and all of our hopelessness. Christ swaps places with us to give us peace, to give us hope uh, and uh, a freedom that only comes from trusting in him. And I pray and hope that we would all rejoice and rest in that peace that only comes from trusting in who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us on the cross. That makes this day Good Friday. Amen.